Editor for the next two months, Sarah A. Yo. Yay. <laughs> Hi. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me. So, fun, fun thing. We saw each other a week ago. Feels like a year ago, but we went to the AHL All Star Weekend, which was really a Sunday and a Monday. Weekend adjacent. Weekend adjacent. You think my boss would let me use that excuse if I don't show up tomorrow? Yes. Monday is weekend adjacent. <laughs> You're just, you know, shifting your weekend over a little bit. It's fine. Exactly. It's totally how it works. And they'll be like, yeah, we're just going to shift your paycheck over to not having it anymore. <laughs> You'll be now paycheck adjacent. That's minor problems. <laughs> Always. Um... All right, so I want to talk to you about the AHL game, and then, of course, the Kings. Well, let's start with the Kings and get the, the bad taste out of our mouths out of the way early. They returned from the All-Star break. They played, what was it, three three games, mm-hmm. and one precisely one of them. Yep. They had a 2-0 lead, again, on the Lightning, and then they just kind of melted down in the second period and forgot how to play hockey. And then they gave up a 2-0 lead to the Ducks on Saturday. But their sandwich, their negative sandwich, so the peanut butter in the middle or whatever you choose to put in the middle of your sandwich, they actually won that game. Well, Alex I follow won that game. <laughs> that is true. Um, <laughs> you know... I see the funniest comments on the Jewels from the Crown uh, Twitter, and and people just say, they're like, oh, is Alex Iafalo finally coming to his own? I'm like, well, he's playing with Kopitar, so um, yes, but also he's playing with Kopitar, and that's kind of the answer. (laughs) I will will give them some credit in that he has been playing with Kopitar for a couple seasons now, and this is the first season where it feels like he's finally putting it all together. So I think it's a little bit of like column A and column B. Like, yes, he is playing with Kopitar, so he's getting that huge bump from playing with literally the best guy on the team. Uh, but I think he's converting on more chances now that he wasn't converting on like his first season. And he, he at least is becoming more, Worthy isn't the right word, but, like, less, like, 
deserving of all of the people complaining about like, what is he doing there? That kid sucks and doesn't do anything. Um, I think that he's finally starting to like put the whole package together and show us more of the offense and not just like, we all like him because he's one of those, like plays the games the right way, like does all the little things, goes and fucks in the corner, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, we like him because of that. But I think that he's also finally putting the offense together too. Like he's already, I think like one goal away from tying his career high in his brief career. So um, coming into his own own maybe isn't the right word, but I think that he is growing as a player and just happens to have the benefit of playing next to like Anje Kopitar. I don't know if you saw the overtime game winning goal, but Kopitar looked off all three Coyotes players. In fact, I think he even did like a little Jedi mind trick on Aiden Hill. This is not the puck you're looking for. (laughs) And like, Alex Ayafalo was like, cool, now I can score. (laughs) But I mean, that was all because of Kopitar. But Alex Ayafalo did put the puck in the right place. So column A, column B. Exactly. Um, what happened against the Lightning? They tried. They <laughs> tried hard. Uh, that game, I was actually still out in LA for that game, so I was actually there to see that one in, in person. person. Yep. And that was one of those games where, like, it, it doesn't quite fall into the, like, moral victory category because they didn't necessarily outplay the Lightning, really. But they at least looked like they hung in there, and the eventual game winner was scored right after the Kings did like an epic two minute penalty kill where they were just stuck in their zone the whole time and couldn't get the puck out. And like every guy just like left all they had out there on the ice. And then literally seconds after they got back to even strength, Steven Stamkos scored. I'm pretty sure with Stamkos scored that goal. Uh, And then the last goal was an empty netter. And I think that that one, like, and you know, it's especially like, you know, I think Todd McClellan in his comments after the game, like really kind of, hit the nail on the head with that. It wasn't an issue of effort. It wasn't an issue of the Kings just quitting or looking bad or anything. It was just that, you know, Tampa Bay just has more skill on their team and the Kings are still, you know, in that sort of in between roster kind of stage of not necessarily having the depth to get it done. And that the lightning, when there was a mistake that the Kings made, the lightning put it in the back of the net and the Kings, just couldn't find that same, you know, they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't find the goal. They couldn't find the face-off win. Uh, they couldn't, you know, capitalize on the errors that uh, Tampa was able to. So, you know, that was a game where like, yeah, it sucked that they lost, but they didn't look awful. Uh, they didn't look like they quit on it. They didn't look discord, like discombobulated or anything. They just don't have the skill to hang with the Tampa Bay Lightning for you know, much longer than they did. So the fact that it wasn't a blowout, I think is, you know, commendable (laughs) because if this was last season, that would have been a blowout game. Um, But it it was, it was a game that happened and like, there wasn't anything particularly like, you know, it, it, it wasn't even necessarily a meltdown. It was just a stupid penalty penalty that they shouldn't have taken. They couldn't get the puck out of the zone and so inevitably they got scored on and that was kind of it. And then they couldn't find, you know, they don't have the shooting skill. They don't have the talent on the roster, I guess, to get that one last goal. And 
you know, Alex and I follow can't score every goal for the Kings every night. <laughs> Why and, not? You know, I, I mean, I wish you could. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was the Tampa game. Like they tried, they just aren't as good as the Lightning. Like end of story. This would make a really interesting segue uh, to a Helene Elliott article. I love Helene Elliott. She pulls no punches. I want to get. I want to put a pin in that, and I want to get back to that. But I saw something because I missed the Ducks game last night because I was doing something way more fun. I went to a party. Uh, it was an Outlander themed party, and Outlander. That is a thousand percent more fun than the Ducks game. And I was learning English country dances while the first period <laughs> was going on. I I can't dance. I still don't understand English country dances, but. It was a lot more fun than watching the Kings put 47 shots on Ryan Miller and score <laughs> precisely one time. 47 shots on goal, Sarah. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> the Ducks or the Kings? All of the above. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I could not believe it when I saw that. And I was like, huh? 47 shots on goal? How do you score? not score more than one? Magic and or Ryan Miller and or the fact that the Kings took shots from really stupid places. I I don't know that they were um, all particularly high. It was one of those high volume, but not high quality shot kind of games uh, from what I remember seeing of like the heat charts and stuff of of that game was that um, they weren't all because they put a million shots on um, Ryan Miller. They weren't, you know, the, well, actually, I'm, I'm looking at the stats now on Natural Stat Trick, and they're cre- the Kings are credited with six high-danger chances at even strength. The Ducks had seven. Um, That's not a maybe, lot. Maybe there was some power play excitement going on. I don't know. I only saw part of the game, too. So <laughs> I think we both had better things to do than to watch them fail against the Ducks. A combined high-danger chance of 13 seems really low. Yeah, and, like, I, I pulled up the, like, the heat maps, and the Kings, like, a ton of their shots came from, like, back towards the blue line. Ooh. You know, they're, the, the Ducks just happened to concentrate a bunch of their shots, and, like, by a bunch, I mean, like, just a, just a little tiny bit of the majority, kind of, like, right in front of the net. Um, <laughs> but their shots also came from kind of all over the place. Uh, but the two goals that the Ducks got were both literally right on, or two of the three goals that the Ducks got were, like, literally right on the doorstep um, of um did jack campbell play was it jonathan quick jonathan quick okay. of whatever of whatever goal uh right on the doorstep of jonathan quick um the third one was from a really stupid distance away which we're just going to ignore that that happened um <laughs> but the 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 kings it just looks like they they weren't able to get up close and so you know if ryan miller or whoever whatever goaltender on whatever team you're facing if they can see the puck coming at them like most goaltenders are going to stop it. <laughs> so I think it was just a, we got a lot of pucks on him, but we didn't make it hard, hard for him. And I think the quotes I remember seeing from Todd McClellan, like he was really not happy with this game uh, mm-hmm. and really, you know, thought that they just didn't have it from the very beginning and that, you know, there's stuff to learn from it, um, especially with things like face-offs and how you respond to plays and breakouts and everything. But he just, it just kind of seemed like from the get-go of this one that, the night was kind of preordained for the Ducks, let's say. And uh, just the, the Kings could never get back out of that hole that they dug for themselves. 
So the season series is even now, isn't it? Uh, Ducks won two, Kings won one. This is the third oh. game. Oh, this is the third game? Yep. Only the second game for some reason. Well, whatever. Both teams suck. Neither <laughs> one of them are making the playoffs. Nope. I guess this would make a decent segue anyway. Um, so following this game, Helene Elliott penned a really interesting article for the LA Times. At least I found it really interesting. Um, it's titled, Kings Need to Find Out Who's In and Who's Out. Basically, it's a mediocre roster, and Todd McClellan can't do a lot with what he's got. He can't make miracles out of crap. So I, I really wish that was the exact way she wrote it in the article. <laughs> no, she that's that's my paraphrasing from what she responded to somebody on Twitter. She was she was polite, but also like a little bit not polite. Yeah, she, she, she sees it. She has no no interest in sugarcoating anything, and I, I don't think she at this point in her career she has no need to. Yeah. Okay. So somebody said starting with McClellan. So she wrote, "I think he's doing okay. He's trying to make chicken salad out of you know what." I've never heard this phrase before, by the way. If he is given third and fourth line talent, he can't produce 50 goal scorers. Did you see Kopitar with Hurdle at the All-Star game? Skill met skill. It was fabulous. Kings have no one like that. It's like, mm, I wish I could disagree, but... but she's 100% right. Yeah, she's 100% right. And I guess you could look to the kids in Ontario and look to the kids in the pipeline, but so far of everybody who's come out, nobody has really sees the sees the reins not not the rain with a g just the r-e-r-e-i-n-s like horse reins for those who can't spell <laughs> um yeah so nobody has really you know come up and and seized control of the team as it were so dustin brown had a really interesting quote and it, he was saying we've lost a lot of one goal games we're one mistake worse than a lot of teams you go back and you always compare it to when you won and we just didn't have, we just didn't make as many mistakes as a collective group. The last few games, we, we lost by one goal. We made a bad pinch here and a bad read. The reason it feels different is we're in every game. We're not winning them. We've got to learn how to win them. But last year, if we gave up two in the first, the game was over. There wasn't any coming back. There wasn't any fight in our game. And even Kovatar said kind of the same thing. We're a lot more competitive. The no-quit attitude is always there as opposed to last year. It was a lot different. We're in games, but I don't know how many, well, that doesn't matter. They've lost 14 one-goal games for what it's worth. Some of that really is bad luck because they have, so in the same amount of games played last year for reference, they had 48 points and now they have 43 points. If they had won even half of their the one-goal games that they lost, they would have 50 points. So they would have a couple more points than last year. Math. Yeah, right. Surprise, math. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's a really good point because, you know, I think that anyone, you know, you look at where the Kings are in the standings, you look at what they've got, you look at the product on the ice every night, and, you know, it, it's, it sucks that they're bad and that they're at the bottom of the standings. And then if you look at, you know, kind of the fancy stats stuff, the fancy stats are like, well, they should be a lot better than they are. 
and they should, but, you know, because they are generating chances, they are, you know, possessing the puck more, they're getting more shots on net, and all of those are good things. They just don't have the skill, like, on the roster to capitalize on those chances. And it doesn't matter, like, how much of the share of the shots you're controlling or whatever, if the guys controlling it are, and bless them, I love them, but, like, Trevor Lewis and Cal Clifford and Austin Wagner, like, Sure, if they're spending a bunch of time in the zone, like that's great. But we know that they're not—they're not scorers, and they're not even—you know—this isn't the Trevor Lewis of a handful of years ago, where he was kind of like the depth scoring guy that could, you know, do all of the things and then also be counted on to chip in a handful of goals. Like they just don't have up and down the roster the guys to make a difference, and that's kind of why we're in this predicament. Predicament, and the players who can make that difference are still a way away. Um, even the guys in Ontario, like when they, you know, when someone like Anderson Dolan or, um, you know, Rasmus Kapari, who now is out for the season, but, you know, someone like him could make the jump, like it's still going to take a while for them to adjust to the NHL. I mean, even just look at, you know, a guy like Micah Matteo, who now finally has caught on to be pretty much an every game player, but who spent you know, the past handful of years kind of shuffling back and forth. And, you know, for that sort of like middle six borderline bubble talent, like, you know, that's the same position that Matt Luff is in of, you know, not getting everyday play because he doesn't necessarily deserve everyday play, but, you know, they don't want to send Ontario. They don't want to keep him in every game. Like, it's just, how, how do you build a roster with a bunch of guys who are like, man, he's okay. You know? <laughs> And I was talking for another podcast that I was doing, I was talking with a, one of the writers from On the Forecheck, the um, National Predators site. And he was saying that something that John Hines, the new coach of the Predators, has really emphasized with his team is you can't play a perfect game. It doesn't matter who you are. Like, you could be Wayne Gretzky or Connor McDavid or like, a hybrid of Wayne Gretzky and Connor McDavid or whatever. And no matter what, you're not going to play a perfect 60 minutes. And for kind of the predators, from what he was saying, like a lot of it really is kind of the mental toughness part of the game of responding from being down and knowing how to like persevere and keep playing and not get down on yourself for like, oh man, like you had a bad first period. Like that's it, game's over. Um, and I think that's something the Kings are dealing with now. Um, you know, last year they were in that spot where they got down a couple goals and that was it. And they just didn't have, you know, skill aside, they just didn't have that sort of mental fortitude to go out and keep trying. And this year, at least it's different, you know, for most games when they get down, you're still like, well, maybe they could get back in it. Maybe they could get competitive. You know, the duck, even the ducks game that they lost and McClellan thought they looked bad in, it was still just three to one. Like, you know, how many blowout games did we see them lose last year where it was like, you know, five, six, seven to one, you know, at least it was just a two goal loss <laughs> this time around. And so I think that that's a big thing for the Kings is um, having that toughness and keeping, keeping up with that and not letting the season grind you down um, and just, yeah, having that knowledge of like, okay, no one's perfect. Let's go back out there and try to fix it. And I think we're seeing that, but yeah, they just don't have, 
they don't have the guys to do it and it's going to be a while uh, until they do so just kind of keep being patient even though it hurts so much <laughs> <laughs> everything hurts and i'm dying sarah um so when we were out in ontario last week we were talking to somebody um his position was that the Kings need to do a full rebuild. Tear it all down, sell off the veterans for spare parts, whatever. Just do a full-scale rebuild. And I agree. I mean, I really think that this whole tank for two years, hope and pray to get back into the playoffs in year three, I don't think that's going to work. They just, they don't have the talent. They don't have the skill. Like, Dustin Brown, as much as I love him, he he was at best, at best, a 20 to maybe 23 goal guy. Like on his in his prime in his best years. 20 plus goals. Tyler DeFoley, he should I think he's on pace for about 20 goals this year. Um Jeff Carter's again pacing for about 20 goals this year. They'll both be hard-pressed to reach that 20-goal mark, unfortunately. Um, you know, and and Toffoli, uh, and, and Helene mentions this in her article, Toffoli was seen as, as a franchise pillar, but his name is always in the rumor mill. So, and then you got guys who are signed to longer-term contracts with Clifford and Lewis, and you have your collection of middle six guys who are kind of like, Eh, yeah, he's okay. I mean, yes, there's something to be said for having patience and waiting to see if Filardi and Kapari and Jad and all those guys can develop in Ontario, but what if they don't pan out? What if they're the next wheel? What if they're the next Kevin Gravel? Well, he's a special case, but, well, you know, what if they're the next whoever it was, you know, the next Paul Ledoux, the next big thing for the Kings who looks so exciting in Ontario, but never pans out. Yes, that is a risk that you take with building a hockey team, obviously, but I'm just saying they have so little top end talent as it is in Ontario. I think it's a little precarious maybe to put all your eggs into that basket of like four guys. Yeah, and I mean, I think that, like, I know the, the plan is the, like, we're going to suck and then we're going to get better and then we're going to just jump right back to the playoffs. Like, that's the plan. Is that actually what's going to happen? I don't think so. And, like, you know, I mean, you look at Toronto. Like, Toronto didn't get, you know, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and all these guys by, like, stumbling into the playoffs. They got, it by, they got them by being really bad for a really long time and then happened to bank just enough really good draft picks to, to – finally get a core of guys to make a difference. And then they have the money to throw at, you know, um, what's his name? John Tavares and stuff for like, you know, Boston has been like, just on the, like, Boston has never been like prolonged bad. They've just drafted really smart and have guys with ridiculous longevity, like, you know, Bergeron and Chara to help kind of lead the way. Like they've never had to do a full teardown. Um, and they just were smart about the way they rebuilt or retooled or whatever you want to call it. And I think that the, the danger, uh, you know, I, I, like I totally get the, like we just need to tear it all down and trade Kopitar and trade Dowdy and trade everyone. Like I get it. Like 
fresh start, burn it all down and start over again. But I think the danger is that like, you still need, and like, I'm not even talking about like from a like cap perspective or whatever, but like you still need veteran guys who know your, know the culture that you're trying to instill and can teach the young guys how to be pros. And I think that, you know, Ottawa is not a great comparison because Ottawa is a mess for like 800 million other reasons, but Ottawa also is, I, I think has a hard time like culturally because they have lost so many of their like, you know, torchbearers in a way of like, there's no one with longevity there because they all get traded or they leave or they don't want to come back in free agency or whatever. And there's kind of like a void in the younger guys of like, who, who's going like, yeah, I think we kind of like make fun of it a little bit because we're like, well, they're professional hockey players. They should know how to be pros. But it, it, one thing that I always hear in talking with AHL players and uh, you know, other teams that I cover and stuff is that the young guys really do want and need to have those people who have been around to, you know, learn, like learn how they prepare and learn what the team expects and learn, you know, what the culture is like. And so that, that, that's my fear of, okay, we just go nuclear and blow it all up. And there's one guy left on the roster and it's Trevor Lewis or something. And the rest is just spare parts and kids. And then you have Ottawa where the kids are, you know, in over their heads because they're not ready to be in the NHL yet. They're not ready to like be taking on that role and they have, they're just kind of left to flounder. Um, so I, I, it's an intriguing prospect, but I think that there's like a really fine like needle to thread to make sure you do it right without like perpetually messing up your team for the foreseeable future. Um, so I'd be really curious to see like anyone who proposes like, oh, let's burn it all down and start over again. Um, how they propose to fill out the roster and have a team uh, <laughs> while they're waiting for the, you know, draft picks and futures and all that to become actual viable players. Yeah, I definitely agree to a certain extent. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, the guys who have the most value are, are also the best players who should stick around and who would be the ones to best lead the team in whatever it is that they're doing, you know? I mean, so, like, if you look at the Hurricanes, part of it is coincidental that – well, not coincidental, a little bit coincidental that Justin Williams signed with the Canes and then they started getting good. But they also traded – like, they got Hamilton and then they got Slavin at the same time. So you have these three – you have these three guys who come in you know, Slavin and Hamilton, they provide the skill factor, but Williams, uh, he comes in and he provides the dad factor. You know, he's the guy who's, who's the, to be cheesy about it, he's the calming influence in the locker room from everything that I've heard. He's that veteran presence that they love to have on the team because he's so chill. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, or if you've seen this picture. In 2014, it was game seven against the, the Blackhawks. There was this picture, and then there was also a video that came out. Um, 
of Justin Williams sitting there staring at the ice with like this angry glare on his face. And Willie Mitchell's over there trying to antagonize him with a stick. And it's hilarious to me because Stick, aka Williams, he's so unfazed by this. And my point about that is that he is that guy who's been around the block. He's like, it's cool, guys. You know, you win some, you lose some. Unfortunately, that's the reality of the game we play. We make mistakes. Crap happens. But it's not the end of the world. And he can definitely guide some of their younger players, some of their top prospects, in a way that's conducive to being an NHL player, if you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> so really what this just makes me want is Justin Williams back. And I know that that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> I miss him. I miss him so much. So what I heard, and I don't know how true this is, the Kings weren't really planning on bringing him back at all in 2015 until they saw his uh, MVP performance in the playoffs. And then they were like, oh, crap, we got to resign him. And then by then it was too late. Oh, Justin, at least he's home now. Yeah. Like, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't not like the Hurricanes. But, yeah, I mean, it, for the Kings, it's like, okay, who's our next Justin Williams? Like, who's our next the guy to, you know, you know – be there to kind of help guide these younger players. Cause that, yeah, that is what Justin Williams has kind of done on the hurricanes. And, you know, they have like whichever stall plays there and they have, you know, <laughs> their, I, I can't ever remember a single stall. Like there's, there's a fourth one that used to play. Like, I don't know which one plays where there's like seven of them, <laughs> but like, you know, so they have a handful of older guys and this year, at least, you know, now most of the team is the same and they've had, that playoff experience from last year, but like, yeah, last season was, you know, Williams and Stahl and like guys who have never even touched the playoffs. Like they had no idea what was happening and, you know, they went on that crazy run, but you know, like that, that, that's the kind of figure that if the Kings would want to do like a blow it all up, they have to find a Justin Williams to be there for all of these young guys and I mean, realistically, also, like, the Kings don't have enough young guys to fill out most of our roster, so they would still be going out and getting a bunch of, like, overpaying for a bunch of, like, third, fourth line guys that can't find homes anywhere else. Although maybe we could bring Nick Shore back. <laughs> You're not going to let that go, are you? <laughs> I mean, I, Mike Amadio is fine. Like, we, we are fine without Nick Shore, but I love my mediocre... <laughs> Your mediocre white boys that are all interchangeable <laughs> with one syllable names. Nick, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Blue. <laughs> yes, I cheated with Lewis. I don't care. Um, yeah, so, you know, Mayer has been kind of banging this drum for a while. Um, it's really interesting to me because I always kind of blew him off, but at the same time, I was like, well, there probably is a little bit something there to what he's saying in that the Kings started suffering big time when they lost Mitchell and Stoll and Green. And it's like, 
you know, these were their three big voices in the locker room. And I totally agree that losing Willie Mitchell was a huge blow to the team, both from an on-ice leadership standpoint, because I can only speak to on-ice leadership. I have no idea at all what's going on in the room. None of us do, because <laughs> even the journalists, they don't know what's going on. They just have hearsay. Anyway, um, but both from an on-ice leadership point of view and from a talent point of view. I mean, I, I miss Willie Mitchell so much because, as I've said a hundred times, he's just, he's so smart on the ice. Like, honest to God, he made Drew Doughty what he is. Like, Doughty always had the, the talent and the skill to be a really good player. That's why he was drafted second overall. But, but Willie Mitchell, as I've said a hundred times, he taught Drew Doughty. He was Doughty's partner when Doughty first entered the NHL as a cocky, he's an 18-year-old, like, or I guess really 19 because his birthday is in December. But anyway, I mean, like, he's this kid. He's been a hot shot his whole life. And then you got somebody like Mitchell who can teach him the ropes and tell him that, hey, what you're doing is wrong, you know, or, hey, you could actually be a lot better if you just calm the F down and stop taking so many penalties, Drew. I feel like someone still needs to tell him that. (laughs) (laughs) That used to be Dustin Brown's job. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, to an extent, they have lost some of their leadership voices. And this is what I was talking about with Patrick earlier. You know, that's one of the things that really drew them to um, to Bjornfoot is that he's very much a quiet leader. He goes out and he does his job, and his whole his whole prospect in life is to make other people look good. And to an extent, that's what a leader does. A leader lifts up other people, and they make them look good by being a good leader. I'm just still thinking about Justin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> He's not coming back. His family all lives on the East Coast, okay? He's not coming back, Sarah. No. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> At least your second team can be the Hurricanes. I mean, yes, they are. <laughs> That's, <laughs> as soon as April ticks over and we go to the playoffs, it's, it's the Hurricanes all the way. <laughs> well, I think the Hurricanes are barely in a wild card spot, aren't they? The whole East is just bonkers. So. Yeah. Get settled like the last <laughs> day of the season, probably. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So, okay, because it's Super Bowl Sunday when we're recording this podcast, um, the Hurricanes beat the Vancouver Canucks. Thank you, Hurricanes. And their uh, storm surge was throwing the pigskin. And then they have a pig for their hurt for their uh, mascot, which is funny. So I asked Jamie, who is a writer for Canes Country, fellow sister blog from SVM. And Jamie said, from what they've heard from the PNC catering crew, the players sit around a table and draw them out while they're eating lunch. I'm like, this is the most adorable thing ever. But also, I love it. And they don't practice this. It all just comes, they're like, oh yeah, we're just going to pick somebody who's going to be the receiver and who's going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm just, I love the hurricanes. I had to, I had to get my hurricane story in. I want Justin Williams back. 
Hey, like like you said, we can root for them in the uh, in the playoffs. That is true. That's about as close as I'll come because I'm sad. <laughs> All right. The interesting thing about the Kings is that they took the C from Dustin Brown and they gave it to Kopitar, thinking it would elevate his game. It didn't really. Um, and everybody else, all 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 current and former players have said letters are overrated. So, if you had your way, Sarah, and you could blow the team up, who do you think should stay as a quote-unquote leader? I mean, can I pick Kopitar and Brown? Yeah, pick whoever you want. I mean, that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, I mean, Dowdy? No. <laughs> no. God, why are you asking that question? I, I, it, I, th- this is, this is probably like, I, I'd pick Alec Martinez before I'd pick Drew Doughty. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, why? Drew Doughty is supposed to lead our children into the next generation. He's 30. Yeah. He's 30 it, years old. He's an adult now. But he still sure does not act like it. <laughs> I don't, I just, I, for a guy, like, like we said, letters are overrated, whatever. No one cares about what letter you have on your chest, whatever. For a guy that has a letter and has looked to be a leader on the team, um, he has gotten better at this, so I will give him some kudos. But, like, he feels like he is constantly the guy who lets, like, the emotions get the better of him. Um, the thing that he always says is, like, yeah, like, I'm trying to do too many things at once, and, like, that's why my game sucks. And, like, I appreciate the fact that he is honest. And he's like, yeah, I've been playing really bad. Whatever. Well, guess what? It's on you to fix it. I don't want to hear Drew Doughty say to me for 82 games a year, like, yeah, it's just really hard and I'm trying to do too much and that's why my game is bad. Fix it. Like, don't, like, I don't know, but like, there is something about him that has always rubbed me the wrong way and it does not win me any friends with Kings fans. But if I had to jettison a a veteran defense player and I had to choose between him and Alec Martinez, who are really the only veteran defense players we have left, I would, every time Drew Doughty in a rocket to the sun, just, (laughs) you know, he, he is a very good defenseman and like, I will not take that away from him. Like he, he is very good at what he does usually most of the time, sometimes, but (laughs) most of the time, usually sometimes. You just, like, de-escalated completely. <laughs> you know, it, it's one thing to, like, have heart and play with passion and all that stuff, which he certainly does. But, like, I like I just feel like everything that he says is, like, yeah, it's hard and it sucks and I need to be better. Well, then be better. Like, don't, like, find a different excuse than, like, it's hard. Like, I, yeah. I, I would, if you had to ask me to pick leaders to lead this, whatever, our blown up team, I would not ever. <laughs> that's interesting I do feel this season in particular Dowdy has gotten better with the excuses like he's brutally honest and he pulls much like Aline he doesn't pull any punches but he doesn't throw anybody under the bus either he says I think he blames himself because you know he's looked to be a leader by team management by, by upper management people. 
and the coaching staff, you know, they they say, okay, you have a letter, you're you're a leader now. So as as overrated as letters go, but I feel like Drew Doughty takes everything personally. Yeah, I just don't think that that is a good. I don't think that's a good quality necessarily. <laughs> I, I do like that he, you know, and he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have lasted this long in the league if he was a guy who was like, yeah, Matt Roy really effed that one up. Like, you know, he, he, you can't throw your teammates under the bus, but I, I think that there is a better way to do it than, you know, just, just from a purely human, like psychological perspective, putting it all on yourself. Like I get, I get the, like the desire to want to be like, no, like I am a leader and this is my problem to fix. And, I am going to shoulder all of the, the blame and the struggle. Like I get it, but like that's, that doesn't help anything. And I think that there's a better way to go about like taking responsibility than to be like, ah, alas, it is all my fault. And you know, that makes it harder. You know, you, you start to internalize that. Like this is getting way into like the psychology of Drew Doughty, but like <laughs> if, if the message from him constantly is like, yeah, it's my fault. Like, I'm, you know, whatever, like, is he internalizing that? Is that like now the message in his head when he goes to try to make a play that like three years ago, Drew Doughty would have made no problem. And now like, is it in his head of like, it's too hard or like, I'm going to mess this up or this is going to get turned over or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd very, be very curious. I don't think he would have an answer for it, but you know, I, I don't think that you can, shoulder all of the blame forever without eventually like collapsing under it. I do feel like he has always kind of internalized things. And I think he's been, I think he's said this before that sometimes he does get into his own head. When he says he tries to do too much, it's because he thinks he has to. And I feel like that's the part where he gets into his own head. You know what I mean? So it's, it's when you're feeling like, okay, all the pressure's on me. I can't screw this up. I, I have to be the leader. I have to do this. You know, it's, it's all on me. Yeah, that, that's gonna get into your head. And I mean, I don't know who deserves a letter or not. And letters are overrated or whatever. I, like, that doesn't matter to me. I just, I'm, I, I would love to sit down and have an honest conversation with an NHL player and just be like, what is a leader? What makes a leader? Why are these supposed leaders so important in a locker room? But I never get that. I will never get that opportunity. And I think like I, the Dowdy thing too, of like, you know, him putting it all on his shoulders, like, cause he's like, well, I have to do this. I'm the only person who can do it. Like, also comes down to too, like what we've said of there just isn't the skill on the team. And, you know, in years past, he probably was like, yeah, it's safe for me to go jump up and join the rush on this play because I know Willie Mitchell is back there and he's going to hold it down. And, you know, now that, you know, defense pairings keep getting jumbled up and, you know, how often does anyone have the same, you know, defense partner, every, like he doesn't have the Willie Mitchell. He doesn't necessarily have the like, you know, no offense to Ben Hutton or whoever, you know, Sean Walker or whoever Dowdy's playing with on any, Eric Forbert. Yeah, Jared, <laughs> uh, like any given night, like, yeah, no offense to Derek Forbert, but like, if Dowdy feels like he can't 100% trust the, like, he can play his game and know that whoever his partner is, is going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing, like, 
then he's going to be trying to play both defense roles at once. And then that never goes well, like for him or any defenseman who tries to do it. So like, yeah, I mean, I do give him credit for that of like, we don't have the same defense core that we had in 2014 um, or 2012. Like it's, it's a totally different landscape and he's the last man standing kind of, of sort of the old guard and the, the guys who came up with the team during that time. But I, I it, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's the, yeah, like the, the kind of like vaunted Kings defense that won them championships or whatever, like is completely blown up essentially, <laughs> you know, starting over from scratch puts all of them in kind of weird positions. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like starting around 2015, they sort of, when when their defense, around the time that Derek Forbert finally made the jump to the NHL, and I'm, and I'm in no way blaming Derek Forbert on this. Uh, this is just an observation here. But I feel like around the time that Derek Forbert joined the team and then he started to become Dowdy's um, permanent, well, not permanent, but most common partner, they they started to try to hybridize Doughty's game. Because Doughty always used to be the guy who could kind of, he was kind of a renaissance defenseman. You know, he wasn't your typical offensive defenseman, but offense, he was expected to chip in offensively. He wasn't necessarily expected to stay back in his own zone usually because he had Willie Mitchell or whoever, Matt Green, somebody, somebody back there, somebody who could be his last line of defense, as it were, um, which is kind of a, poor, a very poor way of putting it. Um, but I just kind of feel like just the, his, his game has started to hybridize. But I feel like also – this year in particular with McClellan, McClellan has a very specific vision for what he wants Dowdy to do. So I feel like in my particular, from just watching the Kings, it just, it seems that Dowdy has simplified his game. McClellan says, Hey, don't do too much. Just do one thing. I mean, it's kind of like, I feel like your John, your John Hines quote, from the Preds, I feel like it really applies to Dowdy. Like, you're never going to play the perfect game, but at least try your best and don't let mistakes get you down. Maybe that should be, like, the team's new motto. Like, <laughs> just try real hard. <laughs> um, they already do. <laughs> try real harder. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but, I, I think, so I think the question... Because you made me answer it, even though this is your show, I'm going to make you answer it. Um, <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, I know, right? Who who would you, if you were hypothetically, like, hitting the reset button on the whole team, who would you keep around of the kind of veteran guys? Honestly, I would keep Drew Doughty. And I have an irrational love for Drew Doughty. Um, but I, I do think that under a coach who actually knows what he's doing, nothing against Willie Desjardins or John Stevens. I just feel like McClellan has a very specific vision. And McClellan is not the abusive type, is, at least as far as I can tell. Not that I've spent any great amount of time with him. 
But in today's practice, like he was putting guys through a bag skate, uh, some of the guys through a bag skate, but he wasn't being mean about it. He was actually encouraging them per John Rosen's tweet. So like, he was like, come on, you can do it. I'm assuming like, you know, that type of thing. So a good coach who is teacher and motivator, I feel like could help Drew Doughty simplify his game, but also I'm going to cheat and say Alec Martinez and cause he's pretty. I'm going to give into my feminine side. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, in terms of quiet, on-ice leadership, I would definitely keep Alec Martinez, Drew Doughty, Dustin Brown, and Andre Kopitar of the veteran guys. I love you, Lewis. I love you, Co- I love you, Clifford, but there's too many of you. There's like a, like a bachelor joke in here somewhere probably of like, Will you accept, like, I, 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 there's, there's some sort of joke in here, like, survivor, like, you're being asked to leave the island or something, like, <laughs> sorry, Trevor Lewis, your time on the island is up. <laughs> it's like the, uh, oh, God, I've never watched it. I was going to say, it's like the Amazing Race, except, no, I, I, I don't know, because they're not racing towards anything. And I have no idea how this actually works. So that's a bad <laughs> analogy. So, yes, it is like The Bachelor. On yeah. the Will you accept my rose to continue <laughs> on the crappy theme? It's like, oh, I guess. <laughs> well, it's funny because in, in the article that I, I, um, that I was talking about, that Helene wrote, um, Brown was like, I mean, yeah, I want to be on a team that's successful and that wins. <laughs> I was like, well, obviously. Right, like, yeah, of course you, like no, one, no one is like, ah, yes, I want to be on the Detroit Red Wings right now. Like... No, no one is saying that except for like the guys that are there and because they kind of have to say it. I low-key feel bad for both the Red Wings players and their fan base. Like they've been in a tank for I think a couple of years and this year is brutal. Yeah, the struggle just keeps continuing for them. So the the Boston Pride of the NWHL Lady Hockey, for those of you who don't know, um, they have more points than the Red Wings (laughs) in like half the games played. They just lost their first game, didn't they? The Pride? They did. They did (laughs) to the surging Whitecaps. So the Whitecaps play in Minnesota. Um, The Boston Pride are obviously in Boston. The Metropolitan Riveters play in New Jersey. They were they were in New York, but then they made a partnership with the Devils to play at Barnabas, or is it Barclay? Something like that. And then they dissolved their partnership but kept the name Metro. Uh, and then there is the Buffalo Buttes and the Connecticut Whale. The poor whale are the Detroit Red Wings of the NWHL. Oh, no. Nice gals, try hard, stink. They their, just their logo and their colors are real good, though. Yes, I love their smiling whale in their sea. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I love the whale. They have a player. Her name is Shannon Doyle, and she's so the NWHL players. They make very little money. And they all have day jobs. Every single one of them. They all have day jobs. And they play professional women's hockey. Like, it's insane. If you're a professional women's hockey player, like, 
and you hold down a j- it's hard enough for me to hold down a j job and go to the gym i can't imagine going to practice a couple of times a week and still finding time to hit the gym and then you have games on the weekends plus your day job like that's insane to me but anyway so the uh, shannon doyle um she's doing something called blocks for books where for every block that she makes she donates one dollar to a local organization that provides books to low-income communities oh how can you not root for her and i bet she block she blocks like a million shots she is like the ultimate blocker i forgot how many she's blocked so far but i think she's blocked something like a couple hundred shots that's ridiculous. Mind you that these teams have played like 20 games. So, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. Back to, the, uh, back to the NHL. I think that's – we've exhausted talking about the Kings. Let's talk about the Reign. They are doing slightly better. They won both their games this weekend, so they swept the weekend, which was really nice. Both games required comebacks. Uh, the Saturday game against the Goals, which is uh, the Anaheim Ducks uh, AHL club, that required uh, a comeback and an overtime win. And then Friday, they played the Bakersfield Condors, also required a comeback, uh, but that one they won in regulation. Well, they just, they just try so hard. Um, um, yeah, so Cal Peterson is one of 10 goaltenders who are being considered for the Aldedge Baz Bastion Memorial Award, which is the top goaltender in the AHL. Last year, Alex Nedeljkovic. Nedeljkovic. Nedeljkovic, thank you. Nedeljkovic won it for the Charlotte Checkers. And I think he's up for consideration again this year. But oh, so is Troy. Yeah, Troy Grosnick, Connor Ingram, and a couple other people that I just totally glossed over. But it was interesting to me because, you know, they they went through and and they were talking about all the reasons why these guys should be considered. And Troy Grosnick has, like, an insane goals against average. And then so does uh, Connor Ingram. And they play for really good teams. And then they talk about the rain. And the, (laughs) the quote was... To just to drive home not great the rain have been, Peterson's numbers have drastically improved from a 4.02 goals against average and eight and 0.896 save percentage in 38 games a year ago to 3.45 goals against average and 906 save percentage in two fewer contests. Like, <laughs> uh, the rain are bad. They, I don't know what they're doing. I think they don't know what they're doing. And then Cal Peterson, my argument that Cal Peterson should truly be probably one of the top two considerations is that he has seen not only the most ice time, but he also frequently sees the most shots against on average. 30 shots against on average. No, I think it was 37. Something like that. Something obscene. Like, he sees 35 shots on average every night. I, I can't even with the team. Like, that's insane. And I think, like, the weirdest thing, like, 
the thing that makes the rain so hard to pin down is that they're just wildly inconsistent. So like they, you know, scoring is not necessarily a problem for them. Um, you know, they they have games, they score four, three, you know, two, three, four, five goals, and they just can't always keep the puck out of their own net. And I don't think that that is necessarily uh, a reflection on Cal Peterson or even Matt Villalta as much as it is uh, kind of the team in front of them. Uh, but if you look back at their schedule from like early January, they looked terrible. Like they lost nine to nothing. Uh, they lost five to three, six to three, just really bad games. Uh, but lately they have turned it around. They have points in seven straight games. They've won six of them. Um, and they are finally starting to find ways to win, whether it's pulling it out in overtime against San Diego the other day, uh, you know, keeping games close. They had a 4-3 win over Bakersfield. Uh, they had a 2-1 loss in overtime to Tucson. So, you know, and Tucson's one of the top teams in the league. Uh, so managing to kind of battle them down uh, to pick up that point in overtime. Like they, something seems to have clicked for them recently. And I, I wish that I could trust it, that it was going to like hold out for the rest of the season. I, I just don't know. But they have looked better. Um, since kind of late, uh, mid late January, uh, and then they have come back from their All Star break and um, won their last two games. And you know the rest of their schedule. You know they're only playing Pacific Division teams the rest of the way, and so they have you know a bunch of games against Bakersfield, who's bad. They have a bunch of games against San Jose, who's the last team in the league, <laughs> last team in the division. They might be the last team in the league. Yeah, I think, yeah, they're the last team in the league, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Barracuda are bad. Yeah, so, you know, the goals, the games against the goals are always, like, kind of spirited affairs, and I feel like those two teams are always kind of trading uh, positions. Um, but, you know, they, they have a million games against all of these teams in their division, so every game, every point is going to count. Uh, but if they can kind of keep on whatever role that they're on right now um, – they could be in a you know pretty good position right now. They're fourth in the division, uh, which would I believe put them in a playoff spot. Um, but yeah, they just have been so inconsistent, and part of it is just roster uncertainty of losing guys. Um, you know, guys get caught up to the Kings, and we all know the trade deadline is coming, and you know injuries will happen to the Kings, and you know so the fragile uh, success that the Reign have may not last long if the Kings yoink, you know, kill Clegg from them again or whatever. Um, so who knows what the future holds for them. But right now, like they have points in seven straight games, which is kind of, you know, second only to San Diego, I think, in terms of uh, teams in the Pacific uh, on streaks at the moment. The rain goes through these stretches where they look amazing and then they just like, who I don't know what happens. It's like, you know, it's like the disconnected controller meme, you know? It, like, they, they look so good. And then the next night, they will just turn around and poop themselves. It's, it's really fascinating to watch the rain. And I just, I would love to hear Stuther's take on this. I wish I could get down to Ontario more. Um, to change the subject a little bit, I'm sorry, unless you have anything else you want to say. Nope. Good luck, Rain. You're going to need it. <laughs> okay. So to change the subject a little bit, speaking of Ontario, we were both there, like I said, a week ago, and we saw the AHL All-Star Weekend. 
Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say something controversial. It was so much more fun than the NHL. I don't think that's controversial. <laughs> I think that's kind of a statement of fact. <laughs> there were far fewer commercial breaks, which made everything just go faster. And then you have Martin Burke over here doing burky freaky things, just smacking the crap out of the puck, 104 miles an hour. Like, eh, you know, all right. And then he, can you best that? Usually the answer is no. He was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, if I aim for the middle of the net, yeah, I can definitely best that. I really enjoyed that, like, I guess afterwards he, you know, when people asked him about it, he said that, like, he also was kind of getting uh, some of the other guys on that were there were sort of being like, hey, maybe you should, like, you know, adjust your, your aim or whatever and took some tips from the other players <laughs> as he was going in for his second attempt. And I also really liked that um, – uh, Cal Peterson and Kale Clegg both were like, yeah, we knew he could do it. Like, I, <laughs> I think Kale Clegg was even like, yeah, I called it. Like, I knew he would hit, like, at least 100 and whatever miles an hour. Um, yeah, it was, a real, it was a really fun experience. And I think that um, one of the things that I like that they do at the AHL All-Star Game that they could, you know, probably for, you know, rightfully so for, like, security reasons they couldn't do at an NHL game, uh, All-Star Game, is that at the end of the skills competition portion, uh, they have all of the glass down around the, the rink. And so at the end, they just encourage fans to go down and like get autographs and selfies and whatever. And so all of the players spend a good, you know, 15, 20 minutes out there skating around and meeting fans and signing jerseys and hats and whatever. And that's, you know, that kind of personal experience that you're not really going to get um, at the NHL level. And, you know, I think it speaks a lot to you know, the AHL, you know, it's a developmental league, whatever, but it's also a league that is so much more accessible to, to its fans, um, both in price point. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to go to an AHL game, and it's just a lot easier to get to interact with players. And, you know, some of these guys are going to go on to be stars in the NHL someday probably. And, you know, to get to say like, yeah, I got an autograph from Cal Peterson at this thing and Ontario a couple years ago and now he's the starter for the Kings or whatever um, I think is a really neat experience for fans to look back on but yeah I think it was a really well done weekend um, everything seemed to run very smoothly I think it was a good showcase for the city of Ontario to show off um, you know show off what they have and you know get get people to see that um, California hockey is you know it, it's not just like a punchline to a joke that it's it's a real thing and um, I got to go when I was out there to the uh, State of the, of the League speech from David Andrews, who's the uh, president and CEO of the AHL. And he basically said in his remarks, he's like, California shouldn't be considered, um, you know, not a mainstream hockey place anymore. Like, how, like the number of kids coming out of California and, you know, getting to the pros or, you know, now younger kids like signing in the, committing to the NCAA or, you know, whatever it is growing more and more each year and participation is up among kids in Southern California. Um, and so, you know, California isn't just a like, oh, but like, you don't have ice there. It's so hot. Like, no, like hockey is alive and well, and it is, you know, it's more than just roller hockey and a couple of nerds in, a, in an ice rink, you know? <laughs> uh, I think that it was a really good showcase 
um, to, to show off that, to show off that California is, is more than just, you know, kind of the joke that you make out of like hockey in places where hockey doesn't belong. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a really fun weekend. I'm trying to like figure out a way to like cover the next AHL All-Star game, uh, regardless of where it is. It's going to be in Laval. In Laval, um, in Canada. But it, it, I meet you in Quebec, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just really fun. And I think if you are ever in a city that hasn't, that hosts an AHL All-Star game or you want to make a trek, um, you know, go check it out. Also the like actual game portions, like I felt like everyone actually tried. <laughs> during well, these the north <laughs> um, yeah for, for the most part they all actually tried. <laughs> there was, like, some back checking and there were goalies doing like wild things that you don't really see uh at the nhl all-star actual game itself and yeah it was all very fast paced like it was kind of over before you knew it um which i think you know can't always say the same for the nhl all-star game one of my favorite things about that is that there were blatant penalties and the rest were like, nope, no, I don't, I don't see this. I'm looking away. Keep it going. Keep it moving. Keep, keep it moving. Offsides doesn't count. Freeze the puck. Don't even think about it. Like, let's just, even the refs were like, let's just go. We, we got a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it. Um, yeah. And what it, one of the interesting things to me, um, because you were talking about the state of the league, all the AHL guys that I talked to, they were just completely raving about Ontario. They were like, wow, we feel so welcome. There's so much fun. This is an amazing atmosphere. They, they kept talking about the red carpet. They were like, you can't do this in Milwaukee in the middle of January or at the end of January. I was like, and it was like 68 degrees. <laughs> when I literally turned the air conditioning on in my rental car. <laughs> Well, Sarah, you're a freak. <laughs> it was so hot. It was snowing when I left. <laughs> give, me, give this to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like 60 degrees at the end of January, and you're literally rolling out the red carpet to greet your visitors. Like, that's pretty amazing. So, uh, yeah, kudos to the Atlantic for winning the AHL All-Star Game. I was very confused about that, and then it took me, like, three days to figure out how this all happened, and <laughs> they got a lot of talent. Their goalies are, like, insane. Yeah. Oh, goalies. Goalies, right? <laughs> yeah. Goalies, man. Ugh. All right. Well, we have talked long enough. I have uh, sucked up enough of your time, so thank you again, Sarah, for joining me. Hopefully we will get to talk again soon this month because it's just the beginning of February. Oh, there's still so much more hockey left. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> All right. You have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Always.